Well, thank you. It's good to see you. And I'm, thank you. It's good to be seen. I'm not sure what the alternative is, but like, uh, that's good. Listen, uh, it's, it's good to be here with you. And I trust that uh, I want to leave something with you that, uh, that will be a blessing to you in uh, the days ahead. So let's get right to it. Our passage is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Let me read this to you. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This message is a soul care message. Are you surprised by that? Good. You shouldn't be surprised. The focus of soul, the soul care ministry is to bring healing to the soul. In the church, we do that by helping people apply the work of Christ to themselves in salvation and then help them walk out their identity in Christ as a child of the living God who indwells uh, within them. So I want to share with you today a surprising means of grace that God uses to care for you, to care for your soul. More importantly, I want to encourage you to respond in ways that bring healing. But first, we have to start with this question. Do you want to be healed? In John chapter 5, we're told of the time Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda on a, on a Sabbath. And I love the way the chosen kind of picture this. You know, he says, uh, sometimes uh, Jesus is walking away after healing this man. He says, sometimes you just got to stir the waters. And, and that was the point of this whole thing. At the pool of Bethesda, apparently... Um, every once in a while, the waters got stirred up. An angel came down and stirred the waters, and the first one in got healed. Now, I, this, this passage raises all kinds of questions for me. I don't know if that was a thing. I mean, who was the first guy in? He's probably, probably not that sick. And so, you know, he's like better than everybody else, and he, the water stirs up somehow, and he jumps in and comes, I'm healed, I'm healed. From what? Like, I don't know, a headache? I don't know, maybe, but... All the people there believed this was a thing. And there were a lot of invalids there. And Jesus knew this man had been there for 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be healed? Now, far be it from me to question the Son of God. But does that not seem like a bit of a meaningless question to you? Does it? You remember the, I don't know if you remember this. It goes back when I was a young person. Snappy answers to stupid questions. Remember those little books? <laughs> you remember those? Yeah, my answer to that would have been, yeah, no, I'm just here working on my tan. Yeah, no. Um, what was this man's answer? This man's answer was the epitome of hopelessness. Do you want to be healed? Well, I, I come here. I, I have no one to help me. And every time the waters are stirred up, somebody gets there before me. An answer of hopelessness. I'm not fast enough. 
I'm not strong enough. And somebody always beats me to it. And so my 38 years of dragging myself around are going to just like be more, longer, 39 years, 40 years. Just hopeless. And so Jesus questioned him, you want to be healed? My answer would have been, yeah, like I've been dragging myself around here for 38 years. I come here. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. Somebody always beats me to it. And, and I just can't get there in time. But I'm still here trying. Of course I want to be healed. And Jesus' question becomes poignant in the next instant. When he says to him, get up and walk. And, the, and he did. Because he looked into the eyes of Jesus and he let go of all his, whatever he was hoping in. And he trusted Jesus. You know what we're really talking about here is the healing of the soul. So my question to you is, um, what is your point of hopelessness with your soul? The danger, of course, at this point is to get up on, uh, hung up on physical healing. Now, I don't know of anybody, I, I get a headache and I want it done right, right away. Like, give me the ibuprofen. Like, let's get this over with. I, yeah, I'm not a great sufferer. We've got lots of people, they suffer terribly and long. But they want to be healed? Well, of course. Of course. Why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't we ask for that? Why don't we pray for that? We do. People come to the elders and you pray for my healing. Of course, we're going we're gonna to ask God. Why wouldn't we ask God? Does it always happen? No. I talked to one man and he said, you know what? Um, yeah, I, I guess I'd like to be healed. But if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be as close to God as I am. We're talking about healing of the soul. What healing of the soul uh, do you need? And here's our question. Do you want to be healed? Well, let's look at this then. A healing for the soul is found in life's trials. In our passage, it says, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And wise man once told me when you read therefore in the scriptures, you should look and see what it's there for. Now, obviously, what it's talking about is because of what I just said, strengthen yourself. Take, take a, a deep breath and let's get back at it. And so what, what, does he, what was he talking about? Um, well, he's just finished talking about these things just from this chapter. The whole book is about this. But um, there are a multitude of believers witnessing to us about living faithfully. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And these witnesses are not watching us. They're witnessing to us. They've gone before us and they lived faithfully for God. And we can learn from them. We should do that too. And so we have this great cloud. And so he says, because of that, Strengthen yourselves. And then he says uh, this, verse 3. Consider Jesus' example in faithful living to remain strong and courageous. What did Jesus go through? He's our example. He, like, he bore the weight of the sin on his shoulders. I love that t-shirt. Bench press this. The sin of the world. Yeah, that's Jesus. He's our example. Like he did that for us. Um, hang in there. Take a deep breath and strengthen yourself. How about this one? Uh, verse 4. This is a great one. Wait, we, somebody should adopt this as their life verse. 
Um, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet shed your blood. Like you haven't died trying. And so like, let's keep at it. When you when you die trying to resist sin, okay, well, okay, then you can say something. Um, but then you'll be with Jesus anyway. So like, let's hang in there. And so you haven't died trying. And then finally this, um, as God's children, we are being trained in holiness and righteousness. And so uh, look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as children, as sons. Verse 10, for they disciplined our fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. That we may have a healing for our soul. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We often think of discipline as only corrective, and much of it is. That's because we're prone to self-centeredness and selfishness and fleshliness, and we need discipline. We need correction. But it also has the positive ideal of training. And so this is the surprising means of grace that God wants to use in your life. Now, we've been talking about the means of grace, and, and like some of them are really cool, like rest. Rest. Didn't we just talk about that last week? Rest is a means of grace. Uh, what's wrong with rest? Like, that's just great. Sometimes I just go and I flop on the bed, and I don't have to hold my body up anymore, and it's just like, oh, let me just rest. I like that means of grace. Or how about uh, Friendship. We talked about friendship. Friendship is a means of grace. God uses my friends to encourage me. I like that means of grace too. Let's go for coffee. Let's go for breakfast. Let's go for lunch. Let's go for 11sies. Let's go for second breakfast. Like all of it. Like let's just be together and enjoy each other. I like that means of grace. But um, trials, life's trials, discipline. I, I, no, let's just like let that one go. I don't want that means of grace. But what he's talking about is life happens. And uh, God wants to use everything in life to um, help us. Here's the reality. God saves us in time and space. And he doesn't suspend time or uh, take us out of space. Uh, stop life from rolling on. He doesn't uh, remove us from this fallen world or the effects of sin or the effects of sinful people. Or just the ongoing troubles and trials of life lived under the curse. While we're waiting for the redemption of all things, we live in a broken place. But he uses it all to train us in righteousness. God uh, doesn't stop life from happening, and sometimes life is pretty bad. But he wants to use it because he uses everything to train us to be like him. And so... Uh, Alistair Begg says, Christianity is not about how to escape from the difficulties of life. It is about how to face the difficulties of life. So I know we like a Christianity where everything turns out right and we understand what God's trying to teach us and, and we understand the purpose in all of this was some great thing and we're able to wrap it all up in nice paper and put a nice bow on it and say, that's what that was about. That isn't often what happens. The true Christian life doesn't have nice bows. Once in a while, God gives us one. That's so great. But most of the time, no. I honestly think I'm going to look into the eyes of Jesus and go, what was that all about? 
Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe that's how you're feeling. Like there's no nice bow on this. This just looks like more of the same. This just looks like my pain is going to get longer. Because there ain't no answer for what I'm going through. And God says, I want to use this to train you in righteousness. So consider carefully with me for a minute the goal. The healing we're really talking about is the healing of the rift between us and God and living our lives in light of the ultimate goal of dwelling with him forever. And each one of us has to decide if, in fact, this is a worthy goal and our ultimate purpose. Do you fit into this narrative of sonship, of being an actual child of God and having this personal relationship with him where he is conforming you to the image of his son? Does this resonate with the world that you're living in? This is the Christian life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this broken, lousy world, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Stephen Smith is just some guy on Twitter. I have no idea who he is. So, but he said something really cool. He said, soul care is living with the end in mind, but also living well now. So strengthen yourself. Lift up your hands and strengthen your legs and take a deep breath because God is right here with you accomplishing his purposes right where you are. He promises to join you. No, no, no. He promises to indwell you and go through everything that you're going through with you and change you, yeah, right in the middle of this brokenness. So healing is found in life's trials. It's the surprising means of grace that God wants to use in you. Which brings us to this, healing is found in weakness. The picture here is of weariness, drooping hands and weak knees. You could just almost picture somebody who's weary. Just like, oh, I don't know if I can go on. I just like I'm so weary. Life can be wearying. It can be hard. We're just, it's, it's a picture of somebody who's deflated. Have you ever been deflated? You just feel like it's not worth going on. Like it's too hard. There are so many things that take the wind out of our sails. Circumstances that just seem insurmountable. I, I'm not going to get over this. Pain of heart and mind that doesn't quit. Worries about loved ones. Worries about tomorrow. Worries about yesterday. Guilt and shame. Relationships that are drilling holes in your boat. Life can get pretty weary. Listen, healing happens here. Because this is where healing is needed. Doesn't that make sense? Like, if you're whole, you don't need healing. I'm strong. I'm ready to go. Yeah, everything's working right. I don't need healing. But when it's broken, that's when you need healing. And so healing happens in weakness. And so another picture here is of our own a disability. This is so fascinating. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
the, the author of Hebrews seems to assume that all of us are lame. We all limp. Somebody once said, if you don't, you will. Because life happens. So there's an assumption that all of us have some kind of lameness that we need healed. We all have a crookedness in our character. Parents, have you seen that? My, my child has a crookedness in his character. I happen to know where he got it. <laughs> it was from me. And they, we see things. And, and we all have these things. We, we have traumas that haunt us in the night and sometimes chase us down during the day. We have experiences that shaped us. Why do I react that way? Every time. Because something shaped me. We have guilt and shame for the things we've done or failed to do. Sometimes we carry shame for the things that others have done. We just simply face the reality of life that we're not big enough, we're fast enough, we're strong enough, we're smart enough, we're good enough all the time. Or most of the time. Or maybe even some of the time. Some of us feel like it's any time. Do you feel that way? You just feel like you have a weakness that you're just never going to win. And you just, you, there's, there's something there. A lameness that needs healing. Healing is found in the midst of weakness because that's where healing is needed. So let me ask you, where exactly do you need healing for your soul? Maybe you can put your finger on it right away. I, I know exactly what it is. I'm very open with it. Like I just, like I struggle with alcohol or I struggle with depression or I struggle to keep my mouth shut. You know, I'm just a truth teller. Yeah, yeah, not so good. And I just, I, I, I can put my finger on it. I know what I struggle with. Pride. Yeah, I know what I struggle with. Or maybe, maybe it's like a horse fly. Your lameness is... It's just, you know it's there, but you never quite see it. Like, try and get him. He's, I know he's there, and, and it's just like, it's just out of your grasp, it seems. Or maybe your lameness is like the monster under the bed. You know it's there, but you ain't going to look. No way. We all have a lameness. Healing is found in weakness because that's where healing is needed. So the picture here is related to lameness. So think broken toe, twisted ankle, pulled hamstring, shattered leg. How do you treat these ailments? Well, for the soul, here's our response of faith to this surprising means of grace. Healing is found in our choices. It says make straight paths to stop what is lame from being put out of joint, we are to make straight paths for our feet. What is this talking about? Well, again, it's an athletic uh, picture of running a race. It's about staying in your lane. It's about being careful where you put your foot. And uh, this is probably more about a cross-country race than the 440. I, I was never the 440 guy. Stay in your lane, go around the circle, beat the other guys, you know, 
break the tape. Now, I was the cross-country guy where, like, I sure hope this is the right way. I, I hope I didn't miss a sign because if I did, I'm last. That's here we go. And uh, you got to be careful. You're running across country. And so up hills and down hills and around corners and paths. And you got to be careful where you put your foot. Yeah, don't, don't twist your ankle on a rock and fall down and go over the edge and get a mouthful of dirt and brambles. And boy, that tastes terrible. Clearly, I've been there. And so uh, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. And so we're talking about. Uh, your soul and being careful, literally, how you live. Make straight paths for your feet. Now, I think it's important to be theologically precise about this point. This is not about earning salvation or getting brownie points with God so he'll be happy with you. If, if you want more on this, Pastor Todd's first message in this series was, was making it very clear that the means of grace is not how to, how to get grace. It's because we have grace. And so this is not about um, how to get salvation. You are his child by faith in Christ, if you are. And he loves you. His love is not based on your performance. We don't make straight paths so that we can get a gold star. We do it because we already have the gold star. Our life isn't about God being active and we're just being manipulated like a ventriloquist doll. The Christian life is a divine human cooperative. We cooperate with God. And so healing is found in our choices. Here's a good way to say it. I can't do it without him. But he won't do it without me. And so I have choices to make. So our question is, do you want to be healed? Well, what are some straight paths? How do I make my paths straight? Well, where do we begin? Proverbs 4, 26 and 27 says, this is great. Ponder the path of your feet. Take a look at where you're walking. Uh, why? Uh, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. That's a straight path. How about this one? You know this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind we all stop there, don't we? If I just memorize scripture, I'll be transformed. That's not what this verse says. It keeps going. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That verse says, I already know what God's will is. It's written in his word. I renew my mind with his word, but then I act on it. By testing, I may prove. I may actually experience the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's by the doing of it, not just the knowing of it. And so uh, that's how I make straight paths. Well, here's a couple right from the passage. Verse 14 says, strive. That, that means work hard at, sweat a little bit. Like put some sweat equity into this Christian life. Like get at it. Like uh, exert some effort. How about uh, this? Um, Strive for peace with everyone. Well, let's start with the easy stuff. Not so easy. This is a pretty radical departure from how many live their lives. People are so ready to fight and take offense. You don't believe that? Check out Twitter. Uh, it's like, oh, in your face. Um, I'm getting familiar with road rage. The driving public many times are just well, anyways, and uh, so um, people are, 
now if I disagree with you, we can't be friends. People are so ready for a fight. But particularly for Christians, getting along is a sign of spiritual maturity. As a matter of fact, it's a sign to the world that we really belong to God. Our ability to be at peace. I'm not promoting peace at any cost. But if it's simply because of my own stubbornness or my pride or unforgiveness, that is not a straight path. Straight path is being at peace and working hard at it. So let me ask you practically, what is keeping you from peace with another person? Worth, worth asking the question, right? Because like I know, like if they weren't so, if they didn't always, if they hadn't said this, okay, but where are your versatility skills? What could you bring to the situation that would strive and work hard at being at peace? It's just a question. How would pursuing peace in the various relationships of your life change your responses? If you were pursuing peace, how would you say that differently? How would you act differently? If you were pursuing peace in the various relationships of your life, how would that change your outcomes? How would that change you? Well, here's another one. Uh, strive, work hard at the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, again, we're to work hard at holiness, but not to get God's favor, but because we have it. This is striving to live out my identity in Christ. This holiness is a gift from God to us at salvation. I have it. And now the challenge is to live it out. And that isn't easy because I have a lot to contend with here. Um, No one is going to see the Lord without being clothed in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith in him. We profess as believers to own this holiness. And when we have it, we work hard to live it out. The Christian life isn't easy. It's a lot harder than just kind of like any old dead fish can swim down, float downstream. But going against that is a hard And so to summarize, straight paths include loving God and loving others. We strive for holiness and we strive for peace. It isn't easy. We're going against the force of the world system, our own propensity to sinfulness and selfish, and against the devil who holds a limited power balance in this world. He's the prince of the power of the air, and he's running a lot of crap around here. Um, and, And it makes life hard. So it takes a lot of commitment and struggle to strive for holiness and peace. And it sets us apart. We live differently. Straight paths kind of stand out from the overgrowth, don't they? Yeah, let's keep straight paths. So straight paths are distinct, but straight paths are also difficult. Uh, There's a couple of reasons for this. There is active opposition to God's ways. Have you ever run into active oppositions? Uh, Here's an example of that. In Acts chapter 13, um, but Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, Mr. Magic. (laughs) Want to see something cool? Um, He was uh, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and, oh, I would just love to be able to say stuff like this. Um, hey, doesn't it strike you as odd that the lead pastor here invited the guy back that he no longer pays to say some things? After 15 years, let me tell you what I've always wanted to lay on you. Are you ready for this? This is what I've always wanted to say. No, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Listen to what Paul says to him. Wouldn't you just love to like just rise up in righteousness and say this to somebody? You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Here's the important part. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Where evil is called good and good is called evil. Have you run into that? Where somebody says, hey, hey, hey stop, stop living that way, man. Come and live this way. This is a better way. Like, don't worry about that. Let's, let's take a forsake straight paths and, and let's do it crooked. Let's make it our standard. I don't know if you face that, but we live in a world where that's gone really fast. So there's active opposition to God's ways. There's active influence against God's ways. I love this one. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? Limping. What a picture. Well, let me tell you. Um, so many of us do this. I, I was doing this as a young man. Going to talk to the young men here. Okay. And the young woman. I did this. I lived with one foot in the church. I went to youth group and I could lead a Bible study and I could pray and I could, I could win at a sword drill every time. Like I lived there. And then with my other foot, I hung out with my air cadet buddies and we would drink and, you know, get into some, some, uh, you know, a little bit of vandalism, nothing serious, you know, nothing actionable by the law. Well, actually it probably was, but uh, you know, and so, but, but, but the point was, I, I was living one way over here and one way over, limping. You can't live with a foot in both worlds without limping. Remember, I was far away from home. I can do what I want now. I'm on my own. My cousin was coming to pick me up. We were going to go drinking and picking up girls. Like, that never happened. Must have been my looks. But I was going to go with him, and we were going to take some crooked ways And as I was waiting for him on the doorstep for him to pull up, God was waiting for me. And I was thinking, you know, if if I'm going to go and drink and, and, and do those things, I should quit saying I believe in Jesus. I should stop the church thing. But I do believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is God in the flesh and he died for me. And he forgave my sin. And he made me his child. And if I believe that, I should stop living this way. So when my cousin pulled up and I got in his car and I said, hey, I got something to tell you. Uh, Years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he forgave me. And my life belongs to him. He's my savior. I got to live for him and I can't go drinking with you anymore. Because that's incredible. That's so great. Get out. I got out of his car and started living for Jesus. I want to encourage you. You can't limp along with a foot in both worlds. If that's what you're doing, stop. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Start living for God. Start living for righteousness. Because that's what healing uh, 
Uh, that's where healing comes. Well, then there's our own natural tendency depart, to depart from God's ways. We already looked at these verses from Proverbs. Uh, so take a moment right now. Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder. Where am I walking? Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Listen, crooked paths lead to lameness. Rather than healing, they will bring further pain, further disability, more hurt, more shame, more sadness, more torment. So here's a couple of examples of crooked paths right from the passage. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This is uh, simply a failure to acknowledge God's goodness in spite of the trials of life. It's not recognizing what God has given us and only focuses on what, what one is not getting that I believe I should get. God's not coming through for me. This leads to a root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble and defiles many. Failing to obtain the grace of God is marked by a lack of humility and a lack of thankfulness. Essentially, it's a failure to live out our identity in Christ. I'm God's chosen son, and it's seeking to find healing in something else. Oh, we'll try this one on. That no one is sexually immoral. Sexual purity is a straight path. Sexual immorality is a crooked path. This drives to our sexual behavior, the expression of ourselves that is at the root of our identity as individuals. We are all sexual beings. And it influences so much. It's the most it's one of the most basic things about us. And interestingly, it's one of the most basic features of our relationship with our Creator. God created us, male and female. This is a huge area of struggle for everyone. It's very different for everyone. But it is such a struggle because our sexuality is so basic to who we are. And it has to be brought into subjection to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you struggle with. You have to submit that to Jesus. We often ask, why did you create me this way? The straight path is, how can I express my sexuality in holiness and in honor? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your righteousness. He wants you to be pure. Interestingly, he starts right with this, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Uh, I'm, I'm not decrying holiness, but I, we've made holiness a legalistic kind of a thing that has, that has um, so kind of tainted how we approach sexuality. And can I just encourage you that I think that if we add a holiness to that, that it will change our whole sense. It doesn't take away the purity. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we step out of, outside of God's guidelines. I'm just suggesting that if we approach it from the aspect of, whole, of, of honoring, that it, it just changes the whole motivation around it. And so uh, how can I express my uh, sexuality in a way that's honoring to God, my creator? Honoring him. How can I express my sexuality in a way that honors other people? 
honors the other person. And I don't care if you're just looking at pictures of somebody. How can I honor that person who's created in the image of God and is honorable? And am I honoring them in how I'm looking at them and treating them and saying things? And then here's one we don't often think about. How can I express my sexuality in a way that honors me? That's honorable. That isn't trading away my sexuality to act like an animal. How can I honor me? Because sometimes we give our bodies to things that are dishonoring to us because of something we're trying to, trying to achieve and trying to find love and all the things that the world says is going to, this is going to do it for you. And it, and it doesn't because crooked paths, crooked paths bring more hurt. Well, how about this one? Or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Don't be unholy like Esau who counted the sacred to be of nothing leading him to despair and torment. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, talk about going way back to find somebody to quote. <laughs> the guy's been dead for years. Um, he says that this, but it's good, profane, not in the abuse of language, but rather against God. Pro is before or against. Phanus is temple. It means against the temple or godless. Esau despised his birthright, counting it only worth a pittance. We secularize or count as nothing the sacred in many ways. Let's talk about how we do that often with language. Taking the most holy things and making them crass, like the Lord's name. Remember I was chaplain at a trucking company and a guy came in and he's like having a bad day and he's swearing and he's carrying on. Then he sees me and he goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, well, you know, you're saying a lot of bad things, but I, I know for sure that using the Lord's name is like wrong. It's like, don't do that. Um, so that was interpreted the next place he went that Pastor Roger says, you can say these words, but just don't use the Lord's name in vain. I said, that's not what I said, um, but that's what we often do. Uh, and so uh, how about this? Demeaning the normal struggles of life by calling them the most filthy of things, excrement. Like instead of, of approaching struggles of life as, as something God wants to use to train me in righteousness, what do we say? I'm not putting up with this stuff anymore. And we take those things and we, what are we doing? We're, we're secularizing something that's actually um, holy and making it profane. And how about this one? We take the most beautiful, intimate expression that God has given to us of oneness and use it as a curse. There are a multitude of ways that we secularize the holy. There are a multitude of crooked paths. Let me just say this. Many of our behaviors are coping strategies to deal with pain and shame and fear and control and desires and block goals. And I just say most coping strategies are not straight paths. They're, most of them are not. Straight paths are usually really hard. And it means you have to trust God. And it means your faith has to rise up. And you have to do hard things, not easy things. So we lean on a lot of things that are not going to bring healing. Alcohol. And weed. Yeah, but it's legal. 
Okay. I'm not against things that help. But I don't know if that's a straight path. Because instead of relying on God and meeting the challenge with faith and trust, and I'm not, be careful, I'm not saying what many people are going to say I'm saying here. But if you're relying on that, it's, it's leading you somewhere. It's often not a straight path. Because it's shaping you and, and helping you learn to deal with life. And it's actually rewiring your brain. And lots of the shopping does that. You're rewiring your brain in ways that are not related to faith. It's a crooked path. And it brings hurt. It, it puts things out of joint instead of bring, bringing healing. Jesus warned the man that he healed about this. He went and found him in the temple. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This is what he's talking about. Live in a straight path. So that healing takes place instead of what is lame being put out of joint and made worse. You got to ask yourself the question, seriously, Jesus, what could be worse than 38 years of dragging my sorry butt around? What could be worse than that? I don't know. He didn't say. But maybe it's this. Maybe it's having found wellness. You go back to lame. Hebrews talks about that, having experienced the fruit of the Spirit and the, the work of God in your life, you turn again and go back. How do you repent of that? If you turn away the thing from the thing that brings healing. Let's end with this. Healing is found in Jesus. At some point, you have to look into the eyes of Jesus and trust him instead of your own ideas. Right? His ways are the straight paths. So let these scriptures wash over you. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. That's our God. He brought me into wide paths, David says. A Psalm 23 is such a precious psalm. We turn to it so often. Uh, sometimes we skip right over into the, the, the shadow of death. And perhaps we should think about this when he restores my soul. Where do you find soul healing? I'm in him. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the training that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I feel like we should be taking communion right now. Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So here's our question. When you think about what healing your soul needs, do you want to be healed? Healing is the opposite of being put out of joint. Which way will you go? Healing is found in our choices. 
God is working in the circumstances of your life to bring righteousness and holiness which result in peace. So don't give up. Strengthen yourself to choose straight paths. Respond to God's training in life struggles in a way that allows it to be the means of grace in your life that produces healing. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the middle of this life, which is so often, Lord, just not seeming that it's going to get better. Thank you that you've promised to join us, that you come to us. And that you come to us to use these very things to make us like your son. To change us. Father, give us faith to respond to you. And Lord, to turn to straight paths. To choose the things that are in line with your holiness, with what you've made us in your son. Father, give us grace to say no to wrong paths that are just going to bring more hurt. Lord, they look so attractive. Lord, sometimes they bring kind of an immediate relief. Father, there's, there's more pain and agony and lameness at the end of that path. So Lord, help us to honor your name with our lives, with our bodies, with our actions. Lord, help us to choose straight paths because you've chosen us. We belong to you. Father, give us the ability to live in the power of your Holy Spirit for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.